Well, good morning. It's good to be gathered together this morning. Uh, welcome. My name's Darren. I'm the lead pastor here at Local Church St. Pete. If you're, if you're a, a visitor, if this is your first time, or if you're new to the church, whether here in person or joining us via live stream, I want to personally invite you to come out to our newcomers party on May 8th. These are so fun. Um, they are just, it's an unhurried, unrushed time of being able to hang out, get to know each other, hear each other's stories, um, share a meal together. And, and we get the whole restaurant to ourselves. And so it's a lot of fun. There's no charge at all. Um, we just would ask that you sign up in advance so we know how many to expect. Um, again, uh, Brittany mentioned there's a sign-up sheet at the back table. You can also sign up online. There's a link. Uh, you'll find it on our website. Hope you'll join us for that newcomer's party. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts 14. We're continuing in our series titled First Followers which is a journey through the book of Acts where we're learning from first followers of Jesus what it means to be disciples of Jesus. Have you ever been lied about? Misunderstood? Falsely accused? Maybe even physically attacked? Because you stood up for something that you really believed in or maybe you loved someone enough to tell them the truth. In Acts 14, we discover that a door of faith has been pushed wide open when all the opposition that I just mentioned, misunderstanding, lies, false accusations, even physical attack, all that opposition was trying to keep it shut. A door of faith was being pushed wide open, but all the opposition was trying to keep it shut. Paul and Barnabas, they didn't take the shortcut to avoid all this opposition and suffering. Instead, they took the long way home, back through cities filled with opposition in order to finish what they started. And that's what we're going to explore here in Acts 14. Verse 1, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, to stone them, they inclined, they learned of it rather, and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul spoke, and Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, men, why? Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature. 
with you, and, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them in the past. In the past generations, oh, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. But even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga and went down to Italia, they from there then sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray. Father, we want to pause and recognize that we need you. We need your spirit to bring clarity. Open our eyes. Open our hearts to receive all that you would have for us. That you would correct any misconceptions, any lies that we've been believing. That you would bring encouragement and faith. That you would strengthen us in our resolve to follow you. We thank you so much for the gift of Jesus, the promises that have been met in your son Jesus, what they mean for us. Help us not to treat that lightly and help us to hold on to all that we can, all that we see about you in Christ, that it would be our joy and our foundation, our treasure and our all. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things I pray we see here this morning, church. Number one, poisonous lies and complete misunderstanding. Number two, the long way home, and number three, the wide open door. First, poisonous lies and complete misunderstanding. Okay, so we've been following Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. They were sent out, if you remember, from a thriving church in the city of Antioch, the Antioch located in Syria. And they had this conviction that this good news about Jesus was never meant to be for Israel alone or for Jews alone, but for Gentiles They understood this great commission that came from Jesus to go and make disciples of every nation was a commission for them. And so they went beyond their own borders. And last week, we we read of uh, their their journey to another Antioch, a Pisidian Antioch, and, and the opposition that they experienced in that city and the persecution that eventually drove them out. Well, here they are. They made their way to the city of Iconium, located in central Turkey. And there they entered the local synagogue and taught about Jesus, which was a pattern for them. And it says a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. 
But verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred a number of both Jews and Greeks. Or they stirred up the non-Jews and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. The Jews stirred up the non-Jews and poisoned their minds against the brothers. That's what we're told. So in light of this, you might think, okay, whoa, what's going on here? Uh, Paul and Barnabas are seeing a great number of people come to faith in Jesus, and now this one group is poisoning the minds of others, and you might think, oh, it's time to go. It's, it's, it's time to move on to another city. They don't do that. Instead, in verse 3, we see this is all the more reason for them to stay. For they remain for a long time, verse 3 says. In light of what's going on, in light of this poisoning of the mind that's going on by some, they say, hey, for the good of the church, for the good of disciples in this city, we ain't going nowhere. We're staying. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they responded to poisonous lies with their presence. So people can say what they want about you. They can talk about your motives behind your back. They can try to pull others away from the good news of Jesus. And you can get all kinds of bent out of shape. You can try to defend yourself. But listen, church, presence, staying, not moving on, refusing to be intimidated, deciding to stand your ground and let your life back up your words is what we need to do. And that's what they did. They stood their ground. It required great courage, resolve, They answered poisonous lies with their presence. They let their lives speak. They also spoke with words. It says they spoke boldly for the Lord, bearing witness to the word of his grace. They bore witness to the word of his grace. What is that? That is gospel. The word of his grace. Grace is this word that we we need to define again and again. We need to think about it again and again. It means generosity. It means favor. It means kindness and compassion This grace of God, the kindness of God expressed in Jesus. What does it mean for us? This is where they were swimming, okay? This is the word of his grace. This is what they were promoting and holding up high. The gospel, the good news of God's kindness and compassion towards us. And then we read in verse 4 something we might not want to hear, but it's there. That this gospel, this good news about God's grace, it brought division in that city. A real divide happened. You might say, wait a minute, I thought the gospel was a message of peace. It is. I thought it was a message of love. It is. And yet it brought division. And and, and maybe you've experienced that in your own life, your own family. Maybe you've embraced Jesus as king, as savior, as rescuer, as Messiah, and, and, and they don't get it. They don't understand. They think you're a bit too radical. Maybe they think you're part of a cult. Or maybe your husband at first thought it was more of a hobby, like a, a, a peripheral kind of sideline thing that you do. But now he's seeing how serious you are about following Jesus, and it's making him nervous. Or maybe you have friends that just think you're straight strange. They don't understand it. You start talking about Jesus, they're just like, whoa, come on. You're taking it way too far. Maybe you've been labeled narrow-minded, a radical, or something else. The gospel of Jesus, this message of God's grace, radical, life-changing grace, it disrupts, it upends, it calls out, it reveals. And that's what was happening in Iconium. 
Paul and Barnabas, they had the courage to stay. Did you see that? When things were rough, when poisonous lies about them and their motives and their ministry were at a high, they said, no, we're not going anywhere. Mm -mm. We're going to let our lives speak. And we're going to proclaim with our lips. We're not going anywhere. But they also had the wisdom to move on, especially when there were reports that they were about to be stoned. And so for the sake of the gospel, so that they could bring the truth of who Jesus is to other cities, they moved on to Lystra. Lystra would, was 20 miles away from Iconium, and still is. <laughs> and uh, we learn in verses 8 through 20 of this really um, just crazy story, really, of what took place in Lystra. Now, it's important for you to know that uh, history, uh, and there's a particular poet that talks about local legend, um, was that Zeus and Hermes had visited this town once before, but no one recognized them. And so there's a temple to Zeus just outside the city gates. And here, Paul is preaching Jesus, and he saw that a man who was crippled from birth had faith to be made well, and he told them to stand up on his feet. And the man did. And the crowd saw it and went wild. They went wild, shouting in their native tongue, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. An unexpected response, I'm sure, for Paul and Barnabas. You see, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he did most of the talking. And so there's this sort of parade that makes its way through this, this crowd led by the priests of Zeus and they're bringing oxen and garlands and they're wanting to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And, and, and the irony of this whole scene is that Paul and Barnabas came into that city uh, to expose these false gods. And here they are being identified as the very gods that they were coming to expose as false. It's ironic. I'm sure it was frustrating for them. Verse 14, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes. You might have read this before in Scripture. When someone tears their clothes, it's in angst or horror, uh, an expression of, of angst. And they're saying, this is blasphemous. They're saying, no, stop. This is all wrong. You've completely misunderstood. Isn't it so frustrating to be misunderstood? Nobody likes to be misunderstood. Imagine stepping into the middle of a celebration of fans after a soccer game. Their team just won. You know soccer fans, how excited they are. you got to be careful of soccer fans. Imagine walking in, though, and they're jumping up, up, up and down. They're saying, yeah, they're just hugging each other. They're celebrating. They're... You say, hold up, time out, quiet. Your team didn't win. In fact, you've been cheering for the wrong team the whole time. You think that would go very well? <laughs> you think they'd be okay with that? That's essentially what Paul is doing. There is a frenzied crowd thinking that here we have Zeus and Hermes in our midst again, and we're not going to miss it. Bring out the oxen. Bring out the garlands. Call in the priests. And they're frenzied. They're ready to sacrifice. And he says, no. 
you guys have completely misunderstood. It's as if you stepped into a party of people celebrating, and you're like, hey, no, come on, stop it. Stop this celebration. You're celebrating the wrong thing. And so you could think, man, is Paul a party pooper here? He's definitely a party pooper here. He is speaking to devoted polytheists, and he's telling them to stop. Right in your tracks. So he definitely has their attention. I want you to know that misunderstanding provides an opportunity to speak of Jesus with clarity, with greater clarity. It's frustrating to be misunderstood. It is. But did you know that when you are misunderstood, it provides a platform, a beautiful opportunity to then speak of Jesus with clarity? And I will say, church, you, you know we will be misunderstood. If, if you haven't been misunderstood, you will be. I've been misunderstood many times, many, many times. But it provides, and, and, and oftentimes people come with all kinds of questions about Christianity. You might start to say something and they interpret it a certain way because of their background, because of their baggage, because of their worldview or belief system. And as they speak it back to you, you're like, oh, oh hold on, that's not what I said. Well, what did you say? What, what did you mean? It provides an opportunity to explain Jesus with greater clarity. What does Paul do in the midst of this frenzy? Look with me again in verse 15. Look what he says. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. We bring you gospel that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. We'll pause there. He says we bring you gospel. We bring you good news. Turn from these vain things to a living God. Turn away from these gods that are no gods. Turn away from these things that have captured your affection and your attention and your devotion. They are vain. And turn to the living God. I love how Paul writes to the Thessalonians, the church uh, in Thessalonica. We read this whenever, if you've come through the Belong Here class, our membership class, this is a section of scripture we'll read. It's very important to us. Um, I love the Thessalonians and what they model. They model, uh, they demonstrate a faith to their neighbors. It just rings out from them. And we read of it here. Paul writes to them in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says in verse 6, and you became imitators of us and of, of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This was the report that neighbors had of what had happened in the lives of the Thessalonians, that they had turned away from idols to the living God and they were waiting for his son Jesus from heaven. Can that be said of us? It should be. Have we turned away from vain things, from idols, from those things that captured our hearts and our, our affections and our attention that, that, were, that were no gods at all, that were empty? 
And so Paul carries this message. You should turn from vain things to the living God. And he reaches all the way back to creation to tell them about the living God. Do you remember last Sunday, we were learning about contextualization. And contextualization is speaking the gospel in a way that the person in front of you can grasp. It's essentially what it is. Speaking it in a language that makes sense to the person in front of you. You're not compromising the message, but you're, you're coming at it from a different angle. And in uh, the chapter uh, before this, uh, Paul was speaking uh, to people who were in a synagogue, Jews and non-Jews, God-fearers, who believed in uh, the Old Testament was true, who uh, believed in Yahweh, who looked to one God, and so he told them the story of Israel. Here, he reaches all the way back to creation itself, and he tells them about the living God. He tells them about this creator God's presence and activity and provision. I think that's really wise. He knows his audience. I was in La Paz, Bolivia a number of times. We have dear friends there, beautiful church in La Paz. And uh, there, was, there was a neighborhood uh, called El Alto, and it's even higher in altitude than La Paz, like 14,000 feet above sea level. So you've got this Floridian trying to preach the gospel at 14,000 feet above sea level. Like, where's the oxygen, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there was oxygen, actually, <laughs> uh, where we slept. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. Um, I was there preaching about Jesus, and behind me, the backdrop was this beautiful mountain that just towered over everything named Ilimani. And this was a mountain that many uh, would worship for centuries. They worshiped this mountain, considered this mountain a god. And here I was able to speak of the living God, opening up the scriptures and preaching Jesus with the backdrop of this, this mountain. Pointing them to the living God. And that day there were two young men who just were gripped. You could see they were just cap- they were riveted, captivated. And they came to faith in Jesus that day. It was beautiful. This is the the idea here. Paul is bringing them to the living God. But these people could hardly, Paul and Barnabas could hardly restrain the people from sacrificing to them. And it was intense. Even as they held out this invitation into a relationship with the living God. Here's the deal. It wasn't what the crowd wanted to hear. Paul wasn't saying what they wanted to hear. The crowd wanted what happened, that healing, to fit their belief system, their worldview. They held on to their own idea of what was true and right, and they wanted what Paul did to fit into their system, to fit into their lifestyle, to affirm it. Where do we do this? Where do we do this? It is so easy to take just bits and pieces of what we read in the Bible or bits and pieces of what we hear preached in a sermon and just force it to fit our own belief system, to justify behavior, to justify our lifestyle. It's dangerous. We're all prone to this. We might read the the Bible and we're like, okay, I like that. Mm, That sounds good. That fits. And then we read something a few pages later and we're like, nah, That can't be for me. Bits and pieces. It's dangerous. What what Paul was saying, just it wasn't wasn't fitting into their worldview. 
What Paul was saying was actually against their worldview. So if they aren't gods, then who are they? If Paul and Barnabas aren't gods, then who are they? Imposters and frauds, so they thought. Just when you think the scene couldn't get more complicated, Jews from Antioch and Iconium come and stir up the crowd and convince them to stone Paul. What? Wait, time out. They were just about to sacrifice to Paul. And now they're, they're, they're talking about stoning Paul. I think it's important for us just to pause and ask ourselves, where are we elevating people in, in our own culture, in this celebrity culture that we live in, whether it's a pastor, a politician, a celebrity, and, and we, just, we, just, we look to them and we elevate them, and, and as long as they're lined up with what we think is right and what we think is true, it's a, we applaud them. And then they, they start to talk in ways that challenge us or go against us. We want nothing to do with them. Paul was almost sacrificed to. And now I, people from Iconium come and Antioch, and they convince the crowd to stone him. These people traveled over 100 miles to be able to stir up a crowd in a new city. And they do it. They convince them to stone Paul. Check it out, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. What is going on? What's going on is Paul was knocked out, unconscious, left for dead. What's going on is that they threw stones at Paul. They thought he was dead, and they dragged his body out of the city. What happened after that? Disciples gathered around Paul. Now, what's really neat about this is that here in a city that saw all kinds of uh, you know, opposition and misconceptions and a frenzied crowd, there was a growing group of Jesus followers within the city of Lystra, uh, enough to gather around the body of Paul, and, 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 and that took courage, by the way, to step out of their uh, place of, of, of comfort and, and gather around this body and pray for him and see if he's okay. And what happens next? What happens next is miraculous. We're not given the details, but the result is that he stood up and he went back into the city. Healing took place in Paul's body. As I described this story to my kids, you know, they're just like, savage. That's savage, you know? <laughs> it's like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. You can't, you can, there's so much that you do to him and he just keeps going. This is, Paul gets up, roll, let's go back in. I was just stoned, yep. They knocked me down. They knocked me out. They dragged me out of the city. Let's go back in. Go back in. And then the next day, they move on to Derby. The next day, not even that day. They're like, well, let's, let's go in for a night. Uh, they go in, and the next day they go to Derby, uh, a neighboring town, and they preach the gospel there, and many disciples are made. Second, the long way home. Look what happens next, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city in, in Derby, 
and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. You know the city that just stoned him? And then to Iconium, the city where they were all talking about stoning him? And then to Antioch, the city that had pushed them out. Okay, they go back. They circle back around to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They, they didn't avoid suffering. They didn't avoid opposition. They didn't take the shortcut home back to uh, Antioch and Syria. They could have taken a shorter route back home and avoid all the opposition. They don't do that. Instead, they take the long way home to finish what was started. And, and here's, here's what they were doing. They were going to encourage those who place their faith in Jesus, and they were going to appoint elders in every church. This was about relationship. This is so beautiful. I love this. This is such an example to me. It should be to all of us. Their goal is not to put on an event and see people come to faith and then, and then leave. Like we're done. Mission accomplished. No. No, mission is not accomplished. Their goal is to strengthen and encourage and build up these followers of Jesus. Like, keep going. Continue in the faith. Come on, keep going. That was their heart. And we're still doing it today. We're gathering every week for a lot of different reasons, but I hope one is because I need and you need to hear, keep going. Don't give up. Hold on to the faith. Don't move away from grace. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus now. Stand firm now. Don't let anything move you. You give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in him is not in vain. These are the things we need to hear. What does he, he tell them? These new followers of Jesus, verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Oh, trials and tribulations and suffering and persecution is all a part of you following Jesus. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared to suffer? Or do you think it's for others and for another time? This should be foundational teaching for new followers of Jesus. Here, Paul and Barnabas are helping new followers of Jesus understand what following Jesus includes. Did you know that following, following Jesus includes suffering? We are called to follow a Savior who himself was misunderstood. Church, we are called to follow a Savior who himself was rejected and who, was, who suffered. We're called to join him in that and endure There was a young man who may have surrounded Timothy, I'm sorry, uh, Paul. His name is Timothy. There was a young man named Timothy in the city of Lystra who came to faith in Jesus and may have been one of those surrounding Paul and praying for him to be made well after he was stoned. And he became a real companion to Paul. And the last letter uh, that we have of Paul's is 2 Timothy. Uh, I want you to hear what he says to his son in the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings 
that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He had the scars to show for his suffering. Stoning leaves scars. It wasn't just physical suffering he endured. You know, we can remain quiet. We can stay on the sidelines. We can avoid all the suffering and danger and inconvenience of following Jesus. I don't want to stay on the sidelines. In verse 23, part of the strengthening of the church involved appointing elders in every church. Encouraging included identifying and appointing, putting in place proper leadership in every church. So these new uh, churches, these new disciples rather, uh, not more than just a few months old, are, are called a church. They're called the ecclesia. It's a gathering. It means just a, a community, a devoted community. And here they were. And, and Paul and Barnabas took time to identify men of character and gifting from within their midst. You might say, man, this seems quick. Paul's identifying elders, pastors, leaders within their midst, and just after a few months, he understood the importance of this. He understood uh, this was for their encouragement and strengthening and protection. And so they, both Barnabas and Paul, undoubtedly spent lots of time with these people, these churches. This isn't just a really quick visit. This is time spent. You get to know this person's character and gifting, and it's identifying these men calling them and appointing them to places of leadership and eldership. And it seems like there was always a plurality of elders, a a leadership team. And these elders, these pastors, were followers of Jesus first and then appointed to lead others by leading by example, for showing by example what it means to know Jesus and follow him. And they were called to guide and protect and care for and come alongside. This is a great means of encouragement and strengthening. And so they did this with prayer and fasting. They, they committed them to the Lord. And I just love that. Do you remember when Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church in Antioch, Syria? And they were, uh, the, the hands were laid on them and they prayed and they fasted and they sent them out. They commissioned them. Here we have a similar thing. It's an expression of humility and dependence on the Lord. They're commissioning these new leaders within these new churches They're entrusting them to the Lord Jesus. This is ultimately Jesus' doing. This is ultimately Jesus' church. You know what they're saying? We aren't the ones in control here. Jesus, you are. They're saying we aren't supposed to micromanage this church, this precious group of followers. We're not meant to do that. They're yours, and you're responsible for them. And so here we're entrusting them into your care. There's so much relief and release when we do that. Paul and Barnabas knew what testing and opposition lay ahead for these new churches, and so this is all part of caring for these churches. It's beautiful. They took the long way home. They took the long way home, willing to face opposition in every city for the sake of these new followers, to strengthen them and encourage them. Finally, the wide-open door I want you to imagine every really good movie that you saw that ended with a, like a party scene at the end. 
All the good guys are winning, you know, arms around their, their shoulders and their necks, and they're just hugging, and they're, and they're celebrating, and maybe there's music and food. It's a reunion. Imagine the joy and the laughter, the tears, the celebration, the faith. It had been over a year and a half, and now Paul and Barnabas, they returned to the city of Antioch that sent them out so long ago. And here's their report. Look what God has done, and we got to be a part of it. He opened a door of faith for the Gentiles, for non-Jews. And of course, Antioch was made up of a, a lot of Gentiles, but this was just confirmation of what God was doing beyond their borders. They're saying it happened. Every ethnicity, every marginalized person, everyone on the outside looking in, they can be a part. The door has been pushed open. And so then they stay in Antioch for a while, and I think this is where Paul uh, wrote the letter Galatians. You see, all these cities, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, they're in the province of Galatia. So again, he's providing care for these churches by writing this letter. Convenience, safety, and comfort are oftentimes the guidelines we look to when evaluating whether or not we should do something or say something. Right? Thankfully, first followers of Jesus did not live by those guidelines. I don't want to live by those guidelines. I do not want to live by the guidelines of convenience, safety, and comfort. I am tempted to live by those guidelines. Acts 14 is the story about a door of faith. It's a door that has been pushed wide open when poisonous lies and false accusations and complete misunderstanding, even physical attack, we're trying to keep that door shut. Now, but I don't, don't want us to imagine that we ourselves are able to push that door open. No way. The door has been opened by Jesus. It's yours to enter if you haven't. A door of faith has been opened for you. Enter it if you haven't. Look to Jesus today as your rescuer and savior. By faith, surrender your life to him. Turn away from those vain things that don't satisfy and you know it. Those things that are no gods at all. And look to the living God through faith in Jesus. A door has been opened for you. Enter it. If you've entered it, it's yours to proclaim. If you've entered that door of faith, it is yours to proclaim. Paul and Barnabas took the long way home, church. Will we? They faced opposition in order to finish what they started. Will we endure lies, accusation, misunderstanding in order to bring the good news of Jesus to this city, to the city of St. Pete? Oh, we've learned about the city of Iconium and Lystra and Derby, And we've learned of all the poisonous lies and misunderstandings and threats and opposition that they endured in order to reach that city. But are we willing to be lied about and misunderstood and opposed to reach the people of St. Petersburg with the love of Jesus? That's the question. I have faith for it. Our response cannot be shaped by convenience or safety or comfort. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what we learn here about your heart. As we see this door of faith that's been opened to every ethnicity, everyone who might feel like they're on the outside looking in, every marginalized person, this door of faith through Jesus has been opened for us that we might find forgiveness of sins and freedom, freedom, true freedom. Lord, I I thank you for that door of faith that's been opened. Lord, we don't want to treat it lightly. Help us not to treat it lightly. Help us to hold on to it and hold it out for others to see in all of its beauty. Help us to be faithful now as as followers of Jesus have been faithful before us. Help us to be faithful now to reach a city that desperately needs you, a city that we love. We ask in Jesus' name.